Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. The Book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had laid down. So the captain said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God that we may not perish. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. Therefore they called out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and your flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep waters surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up out of the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Jonah began to go into the city. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah went out and sat to the east of the city till he should see what Oh, and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose again, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor. Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Melissa. Well, this is the story of Jonah. And... uh, it's an interesting story. It's a, it's an intriguing story. Uh, my name is Jeremy Shelley. I'm the youth and teaching pastor, and I'm delighted to be with you this morning to, to share this story. Uh, but I, I want to talk about this. This is, this is the story of Jonah. This is not the story of Jesus, okay? Uh, see, the, the story of Jesus sounds a little bit more like this. Louisa, arrested for her faith by the Russian communists in the 1970s, was kept in a solitary cell. She was starved and beaten. Still, she did not deny Jesus or reveal the names of other believers. She patiently suffered for the sake of the gospel. And one night, when the guard insulted her with foul words and was just about to start beating her, she somehow saw him differently. She noticed for the first time that he was as tired of beating her as she was of being beaten. She was, t- she was worn out from the lack of sleep, and so was he. He was as desperate over not getting any information from her as she was about suffering for refusing to betray her friends. And a voice told her, He is so much like you. You were both caught in the same drama of life. You and your torturers passed through the same veil of tears. 
Luiba looked up at the, uh, at the guard who had already lifted up his whip to beat her, and she smiled. Stunned, he asked, why do you smile? She replied, I don't see you the way a mirror would show you right now. I see you as you surely once were, a beautiful, innocent child. I see you too as I hope you will be. There once was a persecutor who was worse than you named Saul of Tarsus. He became an apostle and a saint. What burden weighs on you so that it drives you to the madness of beating a person who has done you no harm? The torturer put down his whip. He left that day a changed man. This is what the story of Jesus sounds like. In the late 1960s, during the, the Red Guard era, two Christian girls awaited in the Chinese prison yard and for the, their announced execution. Uh, they had decided to submit to death without renouncing their faith. Uh, flanked by renegade guards, the executioner came with a revolver in his hand. It was their own pastor. He had been sentenced to die with the two girls, but as on many other occasions in church history, the persecutors worked on him, tempting him. They promised to release him if he would shoot the girls, and he accepted. The girls bowed respectfully before their pastor, and one of them said, Before you shoot us, we wish to thank you heartily for what you have meant to us. You taught us that Christians are sometimes weak and commit terrible sins, but they can be forgiven again. When you regret what you are about to do to us, do not despair like Judas, but repent like Peter. God bless you, and remember that our last thought was not one of indignation against your failure. Everyone passes through hours of darkness. May God reward you for all the good you have done to us. We die with gratitude. And they bowed again. See, Jesus' story sounds like this. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These stories, they come from uh, Jesus freaks. And also, of course, from the Bible. Now, the story of Jonah uh, compared with these stories may seem like it's a throwaway, like it's useless, like we can't get anything from it. Uh, but there really is a lot of value to us. See, Jonah is a parody figure defining for us exactly how we should not act. Okay, uh, I love this book simply because it gives us a scapegoat, someone who we can look at to blame for our own selfish behavior. Uh, when I think of my life as a Christian, just to be honest, I know that I'm far more like Jonah than I am like Jesus. Honestly, and my wife can attest to this, my enemies receive more from me uh, about my wrath than my grace. They know nothing of grace from me more often than not. In fact, even my brothers and sisters in Christ probably know less about grace from how I treat them. Now, Today, it's not my goal to be up here and be self-loathing, nor do I want you to go away thinking and reflecting on how um, hard it is for you to be um, a person of forgiveness. That's not the point. Today uh, is about celebrating the hero, Jesus Christ, and, and how he models for us what it looks like to bless and to forgive. But I think when, when we look at Jonah and his progress, his journey illuminates for us some of our own shortcomings. And, and thereby, we learn how to become more like Jesus, how to love more like Jesus. We learn about the central theme of Scripture. 
So let's look at this laughable prophet, this egocentric know-it-all. Um, I mean, we, we can learn a ton from this dense fool. Am I treating him fairly? Is that okay? Um, uh, you might be the judge after this. Uh, I share some of his highlights. So first, though, to Jonah's credit, let's consider who he was called to prophesy against. Who is Nineveh? Um, Uh, Why would Jonah go to such great lengths to avoid his very calling uh, that God gave to him to unshoulder his prophetic burden? Nineveh was a great city. It was a big city. It was also a capital city. It was the capital of Assyria, okay? And and Assyria was full of heathens, pagans. Assyria was like the Sodom of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, To Jonah, Assyria and the Assyrians, they deserve their fate of destruction. We, We can look straight to the book of Nahum just to understand how much hatred was within Jonah and, quite frankly, many other people. Here, Nahum 3. This is... God speaking, behold, I, God, am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. Heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end in your streets. Woe. (laughs) I, God, will lift up your skirts over your face, and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. Wasted is Nineveh. Who will grieve for her? I mean, People hated uh, this city. People hated the Assyrians. There, there, were, there was so much dislike and disdain for them. They, they were not popular among the Hebrew people. So then why wouldn't Jonah want the opportunity to prophesy against them? To tell them of their impending destruction. I mean, who, who doesn't want that chance, right? You know, this is my enemy. I get to tell you what's going to come and happen to you. You know, was it because he feared for his life? I mean, this seems like it could be an obvious concern for him. No one wants to go into enemy territory and, and deliver bad news because who wants to risk their life? I mean, there's not many people. But Jonah, he doesn't suffer from this fear of death. Mm-mm, not at all. He, 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 won't, he, he won't go to Nineveh for a much darker reason. See, Jonah was so selfish that he would rather die than to see his enemy experience anything other than destruction. Jonah knew that he was delivering this prophetic time bomb that had this opportunity to be diffused. If in 40 days Nineveh repented, they could be spared from destruction. But Jonah wanted them to be destroyed. He was willing to die rather than to prophesy. In fact, he went as far as to tell a bunch of sailors to throw him overboard, knowing that that meant he would lose his life. Jonah wasn't afraid to die. He he was afraid of something much worse. He was afraid that he knew exactly what God would do if Nineveh repented. In the book of Jonah, there's this one central theme, and it's really summed up in the final verse of the text. We just read it. Melissa did a wonderful job. And it says this way, um, And should not I, that is God, uh, pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. They don't know right from wrong. God is a God of grace, but Jonah is not a person of grace. See, this, this theme is carried out through and through the text. Over and over, grace is extended, there's redemption, and then salvation. And yet, over and over, Jonah returns to his selfish ways. He is a person of selfishness. That's really how we define him. It, it's sad, really, uh, um, that how 
much he just doesn't get it. But I think at the end of the day, he's really just a caricature of all of humanity. I'm sorry to say. You know, if we're on any course in this life of faith, it's to become less like us and more like God. God who extends grace to the most detestable people. God who invites them into his kingdom. And, and just notice in this text um, and in so many others that it's God who initiates the redemptive process. And he is not exclusive as to whom can receive this redemption. See, God speaks to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. And because Jonah had already experienced the loving kindness of God, the favor of God, which is known in Scripture as hesed, that's grace, it's mercy, it's covenant. Since he's already received this, he knew that God would extend the same thing to Nineveh. And he didn't want God to, but he knew that God would if they would repent. See, God initiated, Jonah rejected. This is the progression of Jonah. Um, well, really, it's, it's a regression. Um, he runs in the opposite direction of Nineveh to Tarshish. And he gets on a boat and he tries to get as far from God as possible going down, down, and down. Into the hull of the ship where no one can find him. And he lays down and he tries to rid his mind of this call that God has given to him. And he falls asleep. And, and then he's awoken and then a re- reminded of what he's supposed to do. And then he chooses a watery grave over a journey to Nineveh. It's pure selfishness. Pure selfishness. Jonah goes as far away from God as he can and, and, and the grace that God is extending. But of course, that's not enough. See, God, God is sovereign overall. He, he's in control, uh, over everything, and the journey that, that Jonah takes, it results in the salvation for these other heathens. This is where the story is just really cool. It's like this, this moment in the text where, where it's like, um, I don't know, it's God's exclamation point right, right in the middle, and it's fun. Okay, so, so Jonah's attempts to, to reduce the scope of God's grace is thwarted by no one other than God, okay? So God controls the, the sea, he brews a storm, and it causes all this chaos and fear, and these sailors, they're, they're freaking out, right? And, and, and despite Jonah's ability to be the worst herald for the love of God ever, God shines through. Yeah, despite, despite what Jonah was doing, God is going to be sovereign and in control of all. And as soon as Jonah is hurled into the sea, his selfish grave, that storm, it subsides. And those men who were once far from God, those heathens, those people who worshipped other gods, uh, they looked at God and, and in awe and fear, and they decided to make vows for him. The kingdom of God expanded that day despite Jonah's self-obsession. This is such a cool part of the text. I, I love it. I love it. I mean, here's the truth is we cannot contain God. I mean, there's no possibility for us to contain God. We, we, we may try, we may want to, but the, the reality is that his overwhelming love for all of creation is so intense that, that we cannot do anything against it. When people see the power and the majesty and the sovereignty of God, they can't deny him. Praise God, right? Oh, that's good. I can get a hallelujah right there. Come on. Yeah. Salvation came to those sailors. 
Salvation came to those sailors. I mean, it's sweet. It's like this, like I said, it's this punctuation in the middle of the story. God will overcome. And as soon as it will come once again to Jonah's journey in the form of a fish. This is the great thing. So Jonah wants to kill himself. He wants to throw himself into the sea. He knows he's going to die. But God says, no, I'm not done yet with you, Jonah. And so what he does is he saves him. He saves him with a fish. God is mysterious and he will not be outdone by anyone. He has a purpose and he has a will and he will use his creation to accomplish his purpose. And so Jonah is saved from himself inside the belly of that salvific submarine of a fish. Jonah calls out to God with a repentant heart, recognizing that he was running from grace from covenant, from relationship, and from his call. Jonah 2.8 is a turning point in this story. Jonah says to God in his prayer in the belly of that fish, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, hesed. They forsake their hope of covenant, of community, of relationship with God. See, Jonah is quoting David from the book of Psalms here, Psalm 16.4. Jonah knows that the covenant that God made with his chosen people is steadfast. And those who worship at the throne of anyone or anything else, including themselves and their own selfishness, those people who worship at any throne other than God's will not participate in that covenant. And so Jonah repents. He's saved from death by a fish. And then Jonah celebrates. He celebrates in this covenant. He, he, he celebrates his salvation. And this is, this is a great moment for Jonah. I mean, he's, he's happy. He's delighted. He's, he's calling out to God and, and he's, he's participating in this, um, it, kind of like this individual party. You know, down deep in the sea, in the side of this fish. He's throwing a party. Woohoo! Balloons and cake and, Candles and indigestion probably for the fish. No? Okay. Uh, Jonah's selfishness caused him, though, this is, this is kind of crazy. This is cool. Jonah's selfishness caused him to be late to the party, though. Okay, so he's celebrating on himself with it by down deep in the ocean, but... But if we think about this story and we think about what just happened, about how there's these sailors who threw him into the ocean and all of a sudden the storm subsides and then they realize how good God is and how wonderful God is and how in control and sovereign God is, they start to worship him. They are having their own party up above, alive on this ship and, 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 and Jonah missed out. See, see, before Jonah has his awakening, with God, this, this moment of grace, this second moment of grace, after all, he was a prophet of God. He was a Hebrew. He's part of the chosen people. And he's saved again by grace through this fish. Pretty cool. Um, so, I mean, it's just kind of this little, you know, parenthetical moment. Like, it's so good that, that God would extend grace to us multiple times. How many of us need that and want that and, and want to know it? Um, I'm not, sometimes I'm not really sure what's harder for God to do for him to extend grace to, um, people like these Assyrians, these, um, heathens, these pagans, the sailors, probably a little bit like you and me. I know for it's, they're the same as me. Like, is it really hard for God to send, um, grace to us? Or, or is it harder for him to extend grace to those who've already known it, but they chose to walk away from it like Jonah and probably like you and me, right? I mean, 
how many of us really have just needed God to re-extend grace to us? But thank God he does. He does. So Jonah has, is late to this party, though. And this is a really important piece because it's going to come up a minute uh, again when, once Jonah um, gets spit back out of this fish and he's, he's back up on, on dry land. And this image right here in the text is really powerful. It's cool. Most people who talk about um, Jonah, they reference him in terms of the, the sign of Jonah that's, that Jesus speaks of in Luke chapter 11. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um, th- this is that powerful image. And, and, and I want to be really clear here. When Jesus talks about it in Luke 11, he's not really making a reference to Jonah as much as he's making a reference to the grace of God, to the salvation of God, to the hesed of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. You see, um, Jonah tries to take his life, and God orchestrates his rescue. And three days there at the bottom of the sea, he's in a fish, and he escapes death, be- death Because God sent him grace. God sent him mercy. God sent him redemption. And and his words, they were able to go out to Nineveh and to those men and women who finally would repent, right? So, so look at this imagery here though. So Jonah's in the belly of a fish for three days in this watery grave, down, down, down. And and the Look at how similar it is to Jesus' own life. Jesus surrenders his life on the cross and he went into his tomb for three days and then he rose up again. His life is the grace that the world needs for redemption. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, and this is really when he talks about the sign of Jonah, he's talking about those people who follow Jesus in grace will be there at the end. Jonah goes down into a watery grave and was resurrected by the grace of God. Jesus went down in death after being crucified, and he was resurrected that we might have life. I don't know if you see it, but I see this image of baptism here, right? Can you see it? Can you imagine it? When we're baptized, we go into this watery grave and we come back up full of life with God. You know, there's, there's no better way to recognize ourselves with Jesus than through baptism. We follow him in baptism. By the way, shameless plug, uh, we're going to have another baptism service here at Quest on December 14th. And if you're interested in following Jesus in, in this life of redemption and proclaiming that you have received this grace and mercy, then I want to encourage you to email me, let me know about it, participate with us in this baptism service, get baptized, let everyone know that you're a follower of Jesus. There's going to be a mandatory class December 3rd at 6 p.m. where we're going to talk about what all of this means. So I just encourage you, if you're interested in that, please do. I already know some folks who are, who are getting baptized that day. And I'm so excited to celebrate with them. You know, their choice to say, I'm surrendered to Jesus. I, I'm, I'm resurrected with Jesus. How cool is that? Okay. Sorry. Just had to throw that in there. Plug. Okay. So now, Jonah, as a new man, a new creation, this call that was given to him by God is reissued. Go to that great city and call out against it. And Jonah does. He, he walks around and he speaks of God's coming destruction. And the response to Jonah's preaching is astounding. Let me just say this selfishly. Um, if I could preach this message like Jonah did and have the entire city of Nineveh, you know, repent, I'd be like, dude, 
yeah, I got it going on. Like, this guy must know how to preach. He's good. But, okay, so Jonah's preaching is astounding. It goes out and it spreads so fast across this huge city that, that those who hear about what happened, they know it had to come from God. It had to be a miracle from God. And, and, and you know, like, I get to this moment in the text and I'm just like, I'm, I'm kind of stirred up. I get excited uh, because I think about, like, what what would happen if something like this came to Columbus? What if, what if someone walked around the streets of Columbus and said, look, <laughs> hey, uh, in 40 days, God's destruction is coming. And people are like, whoa, huh, we better repent. We better tear our clothes. We better submit to God. I mean, seriously, th- this is like uh, amazing stuff. And, and I mean, I think if that happened, all of us in this room, I believe, would be celebrating if, if the city of Columbus repented of the things that are going on in their life and they submitted to God, we would be celebrating, right? Right? I think, in fact, probably almost every church in Columbus would be celebrating. But here's the thing. Our anti-hero, Jonah, huh, in the midst of this celebration, in the midst of these people receiving God's grace and mercy, he turns back inward on himself. He's mad. He's like, I'd rather die than celebrate with these people. I mean, Jonah's a jerk, okay? Uh, he, I mean, he, he flip-flops like no one else. You know, he, he, he looks back inward. And, and listen, listen to his second prayer to God uh, in this book. And I want you to pay attention just to the language and how focused on him it is. He says this in Jonah 4, uh, verses 2 and 3. Oh, Lord... Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. What? There's a lot of words that I could call him right now. Names. Who is this guy that praises God's mercy for himself, that celebrates down in the belly of a fish and throws a party, you know, because he's spared and brought back to life by the grace of God. But as soon as that same salvation comes to all of these other people, 120,000 people, he decries it. I'm just sitting here thinking, take a clue from God, Jonah. Like, he showed you what you should do. He demonstrated for you how exactly you should respond by offering grace, by extending and expanding the kingdom of God. But you still believe, Jonah, that bad behavior should lead to a bad end. That's baloney. Why does Jonah deserve special treatment? I mean, where does he get this notion that justice is best served in the form of destruction rather than reformed, repentant people? Where does it come from? Well, let's leave this story for a minute. Because I think there's truth. The truth is that that Jonah is not alone, that he wasn't alone. I mean, Jesus himself had to preach against the same attitude when he walked the earth. If anything, um, the character of Jonah is ultimately repackaged in other parables of Jesus. I mean, just think about it for a minute. There's, there's the, the parable of the unforgiving servant, you know. His, his debt was canceled by uh, the person that he owed money to, but he would not extend the same forgiveness to a, a fellow servant. 
or maybe more recognizable, the parable of the lost son. You know, so often we forget about the elder brother in this story, right? You know, he looks down on his younger wayward sibling who just received grace from his father. The, the love of God is amazing. It's, it's mysterious. It's overwhelming. And, and we see this picture in this story, Luke 15, the father embraces his wild and lost son and forgives him. And then he turns right around and he offers the same forgiveness to the, his eldest son who just lashed out at both he and his younger brother. No indignation from the elder brother was too much for the father to relent in forgiveness. And remember, remember who Jesus is telling this story to as he's preaching it. He, he's speaking to the Pharisees. And let me quote Tim Keller here for a second. Jesus is addressing the religious leaders who are going to hand him over to the Roman authorities to be executed. Just for context, this is so important. Yet the story, uh, yet in the story, the elder brother gets not a harsh condemnation, but a loving plea to turn from his anger and self-righteousness. Jesus is pleading in love with his deadliest enemies. I mean, whoa. I, I think the greatest issue with Jonah was that he didn't understand that God's love is mysterious, that God controls who can receive his love. If God wants to love the Ninevites, so be it. If God wants to um, uh, love Jonah, then so be it. If God offers love to the Pharisees, then so be it. If God offers love to the Romans, then so be it. If God offers love to us, then so be it. The attitude of Jonah upon receiving the grace of God in the form of a fish a grace that saved his life, his attitude should have been one of joy upon seeing God's new demonstration of divine goodness to the Ninevites. Let me, let me say that another way. The saved sinner should be glad to see others saved, right? That's the attitude that we should have. But, but Jonah wasn't. And this is probably the second most important message of this text. First is that God loves. Second, Jonah should have followed the example of God. God initiated an opportunity for repentance from the Ninevites. Jonah had the privilege to partner with God in offering that love to them, but he ran. He turned his back on the call he was given from God and became an obstacle in God's divine purpose. But then, of course, God initiates another grace miracle on Jonah's behalf. And Jonah responds. He's a new man. He's a new creation. But, of course, one who still wants to control the love of God. Jonah becomes this figure of antithesis, a contradiction of what God calls the followers of Jesus to. You see, we've got this picture of God's love, love that extends to all of his creation, love that's unconditional, a divine agent that draws all of creation back in the covenant with the creator king. And Nineveh is just another recipient of God's love and kindness. And if we really think about it, we really aren't much different than Nineveh. I mean, we're sinners, and without Christ, we're far from God, right? We, we are Nineveh, and we should be incensed that someone like Jonah wanted to withhold God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love from us. We should read this story and curse the name of Jonah. I mean, who is he to make judgment about who gets to be a part of the family of God? Absolutely no one. He is no one. He doesn't get that privilege. But thankfully, his efforts were thwarted by the grace of God. See, that's, that's the beautiful thing about this story. While Jonah, in his exceedingly selfish act, was trying to prevent the 
love of God from being sent into Nineveh, it was still poured out. God's love was still poured out. He still played a part in God's loving care for the people of Assyria. And so the restored creation has this unique opportunity to be the heralding agents of that divine grace. And it stands to reason that Nineveh must now make the same decision that Jonah had to make. Well, the people who experienced the gushing love of God, his love that relented his anger, will will they now be excited to see other sinners saved by grace? Will they become a conduit for the grace of God? See, this is a question that we're all faced with. Though we're like Nineveh, we're also like Jonah. Will we heed the words of God? Will we be examples of God's love? Now, I know everybody in this room has an enemy, someone who they might struggle with seeing them forgiven by God. And I know personally I do, right? Um, Will I be like Jonah or will I be like Jesus? That's the question that we have to answer. Will I forgive my enemies and rejoice in their repentance? Over and over we hear this from Jesus. This is the call that he's got for us. Um, Matthew 5.44, he says, uh, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus does not want us to be like Jonah. He wants us to be like him. He is love and he is forgiveness. And it's not easy for us to be like Jesus, I know, uh, but we should be delighted to see others live in the freedom that only God can give them. I know it's hard. I mean, I know it's hard. It's complicated. There are people out there who have hurt us badly. There are people out there who, who probably deep inside of us, we believe they deserve exactly what we think is coming to them. And I understand that. So maybe then the very best thing that we can do is to pray for them, that God would find a way to bless them. If we can't do it on our own, which we really can't, it's only by God's power and grace and might that we can. But if we can't do it in that power, then let's just ask God to do it for us. See, we have a backdrop of events going on around us right now that, that this, where this can easily apply. You know, I'm thinking about this weekend, and I know that many of us struggle this coming weekend. And, 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 and I, I'm, I know that many of us struggle to think about how to love people that we despise the most. Um, you know, but we have to understand that God loves them and therefore we need to love them. No matter if they come from a different place than we do or we think their traditions are strange or if they wear a bright M emblazoned on their chest, it doesn't matter. If we think they would look better with broken ankles and dislocated elbows, we should love them anyway. You guys know what's happening Saturday, right? Oh, come on. (laughs) See what I did there? No, I joke. 
Um, I joke because it takes the sting away from the hard truth that many of us despise others because it seems like that they get all of the breaks. Jonah looked at Nineveh and he said, they deserve death and destruction. Don't we look at people around us who, who hurt us and yet they prosper even though they shouldn't prosper? Don't we, don't we look at them and we want them to get what we think they should, they should have coming to them? I know it's true. And if it weren't, then scripture wouldn't deal with it so many times. We look around at these people and we say, why not me? I've been faithful. I've been good. I tithe. I read the Bible. I pray. I do everything I'm supposed to do, but I still don't see the kind of blessing that others get. So I don't want them to get more. I want more. You guys know what I'm talking about? I know I say this in myself. So, so we say it's not fair. And you know what? At the end of the day, that's exactly right. The kingdom of God is not about what's fair. If it were, every single one of us would be in trouble. In fact, uh, it's the complete opposite. God's relenting anger and God's love is just not fair. And if we're going to be people that live in this mindset where we feel like we should get what's coming to us, that we work hard for God, then we're going to miss out on the celebration that Jonah missed out on. Faith in Jesus means that our salvation doesn't come from us. We can't control it. God gives it, and he blesses with love. And our attitude, our response, should be one that we are overjoyed that everyone, even our enemies, can receive his love. If you are a follower of Jesus, then at some point he initiated his love to you in some way, through some person, somehow. Is it possible then that he might also use you to initiate his love to someone else. How will you respond? Will you be like Jonah or will you be like Jesus? Let me pray for us. God, we're thankful for your story. We're thankful first that you initiate with us, that you send grace to us that we have to respond that there's there's no way that that we come to you first but lord you send your grace to us god we thank you for that we thank you for the redemption that we experience for the forgiveness that we can experience um we pray that as we experience that that when we celebrate that we're thinking about how good you are how glory filled you are god and Lord, that we would also be inspired, that we would be motivated to think about all of the other people that we know who need to experience your love. People that we may not like, people that, that may have hurt us, people that honestly we may not think they deserve that goodness, but our hearts might be transformed and be like your sons. And, 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 and we would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we would be those kinds of people who are initiating grace with them on your behalf. Let us be like your son, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.